And so this is uh, week number two. So uh, for the last two weeks, if you've been around, uh, you know that we've been in a prayer and fasting season. If you're visiting, what that means is uh, for the last two weeks, I've encouraged uh, people in our church to find some time, find a rhythm where you at some point will fast from something, preferably food if you're able, but if you're not able, then something else. And during that time, to, to use that time to draw you closer to the Lord. Use that time to spend time praying, asking God to move and to work and do what only He could do. And so everybody's got different rhythms. Everybody's got different schedules. And so everybody looks different. Somebody may have been fasting one meal a day. Some people may have been fasting uh, one meal a day, multiple days a week, or maybe they did one 24-hour day fast, or whatever the case may be. Everybody was different. And the point was not that everybody's doing it the same time, the same day, but that, that we're doing it so that as we're doing it, we're humbling ourselves before the Lord and seeking God for what He wants to do in and through us. And so last week I told you that and the messages would be loosely tied to that theme. And so last week we looked at one that dealt more with fasting. Today we're going to look at one that deals more with prayer. And uh, as you're, you're getting into Luke 18, uh, we've got three daughters in my house. And the youngest is just now reaching the Finding Nemo and Finding Dory stage. And sometime over Christmas, um, she's been watching Dory over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You get my point? And then she just discovered that Finding Dory is, she doesn't know this, but it's the second part. It's a sequel. She just realized in the last couple weeks that there's a Finding Nemo. And so now she's watching Dory, 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 and Nemo, Nemo, Nemo. And the reason I bring that up is because there's a line in Finding Nemo. And I'm going to just assume that if you have kids or you have grandkids, you know Finding Nemo. You at least have a, a, a general understanding of who Nemo is. Tracking? Yes, okay. So I'm, I'm going to assume that much. So there's a scene in Finding Nemo when, when Marlon, the dad, loses his son, right? And he's going after his son, and his son's been taken to Sydney, Australia. And so Marlon's crossing the ocean, and he's being accompanied by this, this uh, blue tang fish. I'm, I'm just amazed that I came up with that off the top of my head. I, I couldn't remember it. But blue tang fish, and, um, and, and her name is Dory, but she has short-term memory loss. And she constantly reminds you, hi, I'm Dory, and I have short-term memory loss. All right, well, there's a scene where they find this, this set of goggles, right? The goggles of the man who had taken Nemo. And on the band of the goggles has an address. And so that address is really important because that address tells them where they need to get to. And so they're, they're one night, they're sleeping in the goggles. The goggles are hooked on the edge of a ship, and they're sleeping in the goggles. And the next morning, uh, 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 Marlon is still sleeping in the goggles, and, and um, uh, the blue Tang, uh, I'm going blank, Dory. Dory comes up and she scares him and, and he jumps out of the goggles and the goggles shake loose and the goggles start to shift, just go down into the, to the bottom of the sea, into the abyss. It's a very, very dark spot. And Marlon tries to go after it and it, it gets really dark really quick so he comes right back up. And then he goes to a ledge because Marlon's scared because Marlon lost a whole lot of kids when he was younger. right? And, then, and so he's at the ledge and here's Dory. Now Dory, Dory's happy-go-lucky. Dory, Dory, because she has short-term memory loss, she can't even remember bad things that have happened. And so she's just swimming, swimming, and, and she's, she goes up to, to Marlon, and, and Marlon's clearly grumpy, and she goes up to Marlon, hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. And then he says something to her, you know, some kind of grumpy remark, and she says, when life gets you down, you know what you got to do? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Just keep swimming, just keep And she starts going, oh, oh, just keep swimming. Oh, oh. It annoys him so much. He goes, oh, they're going to get that song stuck in my head. Now, why do I want to share that story with you? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Because the verses this morning that we're going to look at, Jesus is going to tell us, 
Just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying, praying, praying. See, you're never going to forget this one. It's going to be stuck in. Just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying, praying, praying. See, what, what, what's going on in Luke chapter 18 is... And Jesus has been talking to some of his disciples, and he's teaching them. And as he's teaching them, some of the religious leaders of the day, they, uh, they come up to Jesus and they're asking him about the kingdom. Everybody was looking for the kingdom. If you're a good Jew, you're looking for the kingdom. You're looking for that time where God's going to send back his king, the one who he was, who had promised from all the Old Testament, the one who would come and rule over his people, Israel, and he would rule from the throne in Jerusalem. And this was going to be a day where God was going to rule with justice and evil was going to be squashed and all righteousness would reign. And they were looking for it. Now keep in mind at this time that God's people, Israel, they're under the rule of another nation. They're under the rule of the Romans. And so right now they're currently realizing we're not in the kingdom of God and we're currently being ruled by people who are not our people. They're not our our king. And so when are we going to have that day? And so they're looking for it. Now Jesus shows up on the scene. He's doing amazing things. He's doing things that only God himself can do. And he's doing things that the one that God said he would send would do. He's healing people. He's, he's raising people from the dead. He's healing the sick, casting out demons. He's doing things that only God can do. And so they ask him, what about the kingdom, Jesus? Is the kingdom coming? Now, by this point in, in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus has already been rejected multiple times by the religious leaders. They're not convinced that he is who, he, who they say he is, or he says he is. They're not convinced that he is the one that God has sent because all of his teaching is flying in their face. Imagine that. Hypocrites. They don't like what's being taught by Jesus because it flies in their face. And so they're, they're asking him this question to find out if he's, if he's got the right answer. And so they ask him about the kingdom. This is in chapter 17. And he explains that, look, the kingdom's not coming in an observable way like you expected it. It's not coming in the way that you have been looking for it. See, what they had been looking for was a physical king to come and overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus is saying that's not what's happening yet. That, that's not what's happening right now. See, what you've been looking for, it's not going to come in the way that you're expecting. Instead, Jesus starts to explain to them, there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a delay and God's kingdom is not going to come immediately at this point. It's not going to come when you expect it. So you will be living in a time of delay. And so as he's teaching the disciples, he's explaining that to the Pharisees. And knowing that, he is going to be telling his disciples, you're going to be living in a time of delay. That's where chapter 18 comes in. And we're going to find out as we go through chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, there's, there's two things we need to know in order to just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying, praying, praying. We need to know ourself, and we need to know our God. We need to know ourself, and we need to know our God. So look with me at verse, chapter 18, verse 1. We need to know ourselves. Then Jesus told them a parable. So now he's speaking to his disciples and those who are around him. He told them a parable. And now, to show them they should always pray and not lose heart. This is one of the only times where Jesus actually gives the interpretation or the purpose of the parable right up front. There's no questioning why Jesus is telling this, telling this parable or what he wants them to get out of it. He says it up front. Luke says, the reason Jesus told this parable was to show them that they should always pray and not lose heart. We've got to know ourselves. And see, Jesus knew us. 
Jesus knew the people that he was talking to, the people that was surrounding him. He knew that if God's kingdom was going to be delayed, if God's kingdom was not coming when we expected it, then we were going to be living in this time of delay. This time where sin is still allowed to run rampant. This time where sin still seems to triumph over, over good. This time where evil seems to be present and sometimes it leaves us wondering, God, are you even present? This time where sickness and disease still have their effect and impact on our bodies. There's going to be a time where that stuff will not be the case. There's going to be a time where you and I don't have to worry about sickness, don't have to worry about disease, don't have to struggle with the pain of losing people we love. All of that is an impact on sin on the creation. And there's going to be a time where that's not going to be the case. There's going to be a time where evil will not be, be rampant. There'll be a time where when evil happens, justice will reign. There will be that time. But in the meantime, Jesus knew that if we had to live in that period, in between, we might get discouraged. We might get disheartened. Our faith might dwindle. We might start to lose faith even. Because as you're praying and you're close to it and maybe you experience this when you're new in your relationship with God and you've got all this excitement, you pray, you pray, you pray and you can't wait to seek God and you're expecting amazing things to happen and miraculous things to happen and you think anything's possible. But then as you grow in your relationship with the Lord and time goes by and you get older and you start to see things in life take place and you struggle with sickness and you struggle with death and you struggle with illness and disease and it leaves you wondering sometimes, God, why that person? God, why that person? And you start to hate those things, the things that sin has left its mark. You start to hate those things. Maybe after a time you start saying, well, what's the point? Why, why bother? Why should I keep praying? Why should I keep seeking God? Why should I keep asking? He hasn't answered me yet. See, Jesus knew us. He knew people. He knew people who were impacted by sin, infected by sin, and he knew the people who would be living in a world that's impacted and infected by sin. And he knew that we would struggle to persevere. He knew that we would struggle to keep praying, to keep seeking God, to keep asking him for that which we need, to keep asking him for that which we lack. He knew, and so he tells this parable for that very reason. But before we get in that parable, you need to know yourself. You need to know that you're the same way. I'm the same way. See, we have, we have this mindset and our mindset's not long enough. Our mindset is never long enough. Our mindset after time, even if we got a mindset that's set far in advance and we think this is the long game, I'm in this for the long run, this is an endurance race, race. I'm running a marathon and we, we're, we're going and, and the pressure's on us and we're living life and we're trying to seek God and we're trying to know God and we're trying to grow in our relationship with God but the pressure of life and the sickness and the disease and the sin that we struggle with and the sin that others struggle with that impact us, all of that starts to beat us down. And over time, that, that long-range view that we have can get closer and closer and closer. And if we don't just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying, 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 if we don't keep seeking God, our faith is going to just be squashed. Or we're going to find out we never had that faith to begin with. And Jesus tells this parable for that reason, to encourage us to keep praying. And so let's, let's look at the parable. He says this. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. That's the first character we're introduced to. So now, understand in a parable, it's a story. They may or may not be true. Jesus could be making this up on the fly. As far as we know, he is. He's just telling a story, making up the characters, not necessarily based on a true story, but it could be based on a true situation. 
And he introduces us to this first character, a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. Now, if you were a judge, you would handle some of the, the things in life that judges do, like you civil suits and, and things like that. And people would come to you for you to be able to administer justice or to do what's fair and, and help you work through that stuff. So a judge had a lot of influence in society. But this particular judge neither feared God, he doesn't worship God, he's not a Christian, he's not a believer, he holds a public office, but he is not a God worshiper. He has no sense of moral obligation. He does not fear God. If you don't fear God, where's your moral obligation going to come from? And he says, nor did he respect people. He doesn't care about politics. Doesn't care to please people. He probably wasn't elected to this position. He's probably not concerned about pleasing constituents so he can get re-elected. He doesn't care about people. Doesn't care what they think. Doesn't care what he does. He's not going to be susceptible to, to a bribe. He's not going to be the type of person who is going to do what you want him to do just so you can do a favor for him later. He doesn't care. He doesn't respect people. He does what he wants. Verse 3, Then there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. There's our second character. The widow. Now in this society, a widow is vulnerable. She's lost her husband. And keep in mind, in this society, don't think 80, 70. Widows, commonly 30s, because of the life expectancy, was so much lower. You've got a 30-year-old widow. It could be a 60 or 70-year-old if they lived that long, but it could also be a 30-year-old, 40-year-old. Widow who's lost her husband. Now, if you don't have a husband, you don't have a claim to property. If you don't have a son, especially, you don't have claim to property. It basically, if you became a widow and you didn't have that, that, that son or some, someone in your family connect to you, you were on the streets left to figure out how to supply your needs, how to, how to care for your family. You were left on your own. You were neglected. Now we know through the scriptures you start reading through the, from the beginning of the Bible and the Old Testament, you start to pay attention to where God talks about widows and we know that God has a special place in his heart for widows, people who have lost their loved ones. All throughout the Old Testament, in fact, in his law that he gives, he makes sure that there's provision for the widows. He makes sure that they're cared for. He makes sure that, hey, if you're reaping in your field and you drop some grain, don't pick it up. You don't need that. Leave that for the widows and the poor among you to come get it. Hey, and leave the corners of your field. You don't need that. God will provide. Leave the corners so that the widows and the poor can come along and, and take what they need. He makes provision for the widow. In fact, as you go through the Old Testament, he talks about doing justice for the widow. And those who do injustice to the widow... They will receive God's wrath. It's that important to God. And you pick it up in the New Testament, and the New Testament picks up that same understanding of the, the vulnerability, but yet the importance of caring for the widow. The church is supposed to care for the widows among them. And Paul would say, honor the widows. So the widow is a, is a position where if you were in the Jewish society, you care for them. If your mom was a widow, you care for her. If your, if your daughter became a widow, you care for her. The widows were to be cared for. There was a moral obligation to the widow because God was for the widows. And so we have a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. So she's got something going on where she requires justice. She's got something going on where currently she's not getting justice and she needs this judge to intercede on her behalf. So she's going to him, constantly going to him, asking him to intercede on her behalf so that she might get justice. Now, before we go on for a moment, in a parable, the characters usually represent other people. As Jesus is telling these parables, usually they're going to be meant to represent people he's talking to, people who would later be reading it. 
You see, this unjust judge represents people, and the widow represents someone. The widow is us. The widow is you. It's me. The widow is is the people who would be living during this in-between time, would be living during this delayed period, and they're dependent upon God. They need God to provide for what they need. They can't get everything on their own. They need God to sustain them. These are the people that are represented by the widow, the people who are seeking God, dependent upon God to intercede on their behalf. So Jesus is telling this parable as his disciples are listening, and they should be cluing in, we're the widow. We're the widow. We're, we're like the widow. We're vulnerable in society that's impacted by sin. We're impacted by sin. Sin seems to be ruling and reigning. There's sickness. There's disease. Sin is having its impact and its effect on us. Evil is taking place. We are the widow. We need justice. We need God to intercede on our behalf to deal with the sin problem and all the marks that it leads. Verse 4. Taking up the parable, for a while the judge refused, but later on he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor regard for people, and I love this, because he's stubborn, and I, that's me. I mean, because he's changing his mind. But as he's changing his mind, he's letting you know nothing has changed about his stance. I do this all the time. I do this all the time. I just want you to know, I haven't changed my opinion. I just think it's a better option for us to do this for the sake of peace, or whatever the case may be. But I, just want, I, still, I still believe the same thing. I'm the same way. And that's why he's like, okay, over time she just keeps coming to him, coming to him, coming to him. And he says, you know what? Though I neither fear God nor respect people. Let's get that straight. Nothing's changed. Here's the reason I'm going to change my answer. Though I neither fear God nor have regard for people, verse 5, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice. Or in the end, she will wear me out by her unending pleas. Now you get this. If you have kids, you get this. If you have grandkids, you get this. Have you ever held the line on something, a decision you had made for your kids, something you wanted them to do, something you didn't want them to do, or you didn't want them to have, or they asked you once and you said no, and yet they kept asking and requesting and requesting and asking and nagging, and over time as they're asking and requesting and nagging you, you're getting tired of hearing the same question over and over and over again, and it starts to wear you down, and eventually you start to have this thought run through your mind, if I just negotiate with this little terrorist, then maybe he won't bother me anymore. (laughs) Maybe something a little lighter than that. Let me give in to his demands. Let me give in to her demands and this will all go away. And so you find yourself giving in, changing your answer, not because you think it's right, not because you really do want to give them what you're now going to concede in giving them, not because what you've been withholding from them, you've all of a sudden decided is okay, but just because they're wearing you down by nagging you. This week we had a birthday in our house. Our oldest daughter turned nine on Friday and for months... She has um, been asking for a very specific type of birthday decoration. See, what we do on our birthdays is we just decorate the house. Now, little secret, we use the same decorations for every kid every year. We just pull them back out, and then we put them up. It's easy. We know where they go. We blow up the balloons. We put the banners up. Boom, 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 done. Easy. It works. Everybody's happy. They feel celebrated. It works for us. But this year... This year, our nine-year-old had a very specific desire of of what kind of decoration she wanted. She wanted a sound of music birthday. The hills are alive with the sound of music. I I don't like the show. 
but I have to watch it all the time. And the songs get stuck in my head. And they say, Dad, why do you sing all the songs if you don't like the movie? Because they get stuck in my head, right? So she wants this, right? She's very opinionated about what she wants. She's got very specific ideas. Now, I'm going to, in the rest of the story, I'm going to be saying we a whole lot. But I want you to understand, it's the type of we that I would say like when my wife gives birth to a baby. We had a baby. Right? I had nothing to do with giving birth to the baby. The we is her. Okay? So if I happen to say we, just assume her. So over the last several months, this, this birthday request has just been constant, constant, constant. I want this kind of decorations. I want this kind of cake. I want this kind of stuff. And that's hard to find. You know, it's hard to find Sound of Music decorations. <laughs> and my wife has been looking and looking, and looking, and it has been wearing her down. And it has been, at times, frustrating, because what we really wanted to say, there's one of those we's, what we really wanted to say was, no, we're not going to give you a Sound of Music birthday. That's just ridiculous, right? We're going to give you the regular birthday that everybody has. But over time, my wife found a desire to want to honor our, our daughter and to celebrate her and, and to grant that request. She's doing it. But man, over time, that requesting gets old, and that nagging starts to wear you down. And so obviously we conceded, we, again, I, and we had a Sound of Music birthday. Here's my point. Here's my point. Like the woman here, you get, you get the nagging. And, and, and when we conceded, it was mixed. There's somewhere in there, there's some desire to want to honor the daughter and, and want to, to bless her in a way and give her, give her what she's asking for. But then, on the other hand, it's mixed with selfishness and it's mixed with just frustration and annoyance at times. And it's just things that are sinful in us. And so, even though we concede it, it's mixed with sinfulness. Okay, keep, keep, keep that in mind. We've got to know our God. That's the parable. Widow... Needs justice, seeks it from this judge. This judge doesn't fear God, doesn't respect people. He's held the line for a while, but now he's just decided she is wearing me down. I'm going to give in and grant her request. Verse 6. And the Lord said, this is Jesus speaking, Listen to what the unrighteous judge says. Won't God give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so Jesus starts to make a connection. Now he's told the parable, and then he draws a connection. And the way he does it is, says, listen to what the judge says. Okay, so you got a clue into what the judge says. The judge says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give in. And then Jesus says, won't your God... Won't your God give justice to his chosen ones? Those who, who he loves, those who he has chosen for himself, won't he give justice to them? And here's the point of the parable. It's not that if you just nag God enough, if you just keep asking, 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 God will concede because you'll just wear him down. That's not the point of the parable. No, the point of the parable is to contrast the character, the character of the judge and the character of God. And it's to encourage persistence based on the character of the person you're asking. See, Jesus says, look, look, the judge gave in. The judge granted justice. The judge gave the request of the widow, and he doesn't fear God. And he doesn't respect people. How much more then, if he'll do that, how much more will your God your God, and the, uh, the understanding is who's righteous, the God who, who loves and cares for his chosen ones, how much more will he grant 
what you ask. See, there's a, a contrast in character. And that's the point that, God, that Jesus is trying to make. Hey, there's this unjust judge and he'll grant what, what's just even if his motives are wrong. Go back to my story. Even though we conceded and there was mixed emotions in there, there was some good desire, wanted to bless, and, but in that was mixed selfishness and frustration and annoyance. With God, there's none of that. There's none of God. God never concedes to sinfulness. God never gets annoyed so much so that he says, fine, I'll give it to you. He doesn't have to. Why? Because his heart is for his chosen ones. His heart is for you. His heart is for his children. And so when his children ask him for things that they need, he wants to grant them. God wants us to seek him. We are dependent upon God. God created us that way. He wants us to lean into him. Part of us doing that is by praying. But listen, here's the thing about prayer. If we don't know God, we won't pray. And if we do pray, it's empty. Because how can we pray to someone we don't know? It just becomes religious ritual. Well, I'm supposed to pray before I go to bed. I'm supposed to pray before I eat. I'm supposed to pray. I'm in a tough situation, so I'm going to pray. But if you don't know the character of the God you're praying for, to, that prayer will stop right there. You won't continue it past that. And as soon as your circumstances change, nothing changes. But if you know your God, if you know that He's not like the unjust judge, He's righteous, He's just, He does what's just, He's the God who cares for the widow and the orphan. He's the God who cares for the people who can't care for themselves. And look, that's me and that's you. I don't care how independent we are. We are reliant upon God for our needs. We must depend upon Him to provide all that we have. Are you walking today? It's because God has allowed you and enabled you to walk. Are you breathing today? It's because God has allowed you and enabled you to continue to breathe today. Do you have gifts and skills and talents and abilities? It's because God has given you those when He created you. Or He's allowed you the ability to sharpen and hone those skills. Nothing that you have is given to you apart from God. It's all from Him. We are dependent upon Him. And God cares for those who are dependent upon Him and He wants to grant and, re- and, and meet the requests of those who are needy. He's not like the unjust judge. And when He gives, a, gives a, a, an answer to a prayer or when He grants a request, and it's not because somehow you've manipulated God like a kid can manipulate us. There's no manipulating God. He gives it because He's good. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And He's so good that He also, He doesn't just give us what we need, He oftentimes blesses us with what we want and things that are more than what we need and so that we can enjoy abundance. And that just goes to show how good He is. That's our God. And when you know Him, and when you know that that's His character, you go to Him and there's an intimacy there that's lacking as opposed to the person who's just, well, I think you might be up there, but I'm not sure who you are, so I'm going to throw a prayer up. But when you know your God and His heart is for you and He wants you to seek Him and He wants you to depend upon Him and you go to Him and you know He's like a father and other places Jesus would tell a story and He's the type of father that you're not scared to approach because you're, you're unsure of what kind of reaction you're going to get from Him. He's not that kind of father. He's the kind of father that you know you're safe to just crawl in His lap. He wants you to approach Him. He's approachable. And we can approach Him because of Christ.
Because Christ has paved the way for us. Because Christ has lived the life that you and I couldn't live. And He died in the death that you and I deserve. He took our place in life and in death. He was our substitute. And then He rose from the dead as our Savior. And so when we trust in Him, what happens is God now takes what is His, what's Christ, and He gives it to us. And He took what was ours, the judgment and punishment for sin. He put it on Christ. And so now we're able to go before God because of what Christ has done. And so the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews says that we are able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. It's all because of Christ. That's our God. That's the one we're approaching. And so Jesus, as he's telling this parable, won't God give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? When you struggle, when you're being beaten down by sin that you struggle with, when you're being beaten down by the impact of sin, so that could be sickness, that can be disease, that can be death. All of that is an impact on, of sin on creation. You and I are living in a period of time where sin has impacted all of creation and it will continue to do so until Christ comes back and redeems all of creation. Until that day, you and I will struggle. We will know the pain of loss. We will know the pain of sickness and disease and the disabilities. And we will know the pain of evil that seems to be rampant among us. We will know injustice. None of that changes who God is. But that's what's going to be facing us in the in-between time. And if we don't know our God, if we don't know ourselves, we will not continue to pray. We will not continue to seek God. Our faith will dwindle out or we might just find out we never had faith to begin with. Know yourself. Know your God. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep praying, praying, praying. I'm just making sure you'll never forget it. Now, what's that prayer for you today? What's that prayer that, that you had put down a while back? What's that prayer that you've given up on? What, what's that, that, that prayer that, that you'd been seeking God, but you never saw Him answer, and so you stopped praying it? And assuming that you've never heard God say to you, stop praying for that prayer, stop asking for it, assuming you've never heard that, or assuming you've never come across anything in the Scripture that would indicate that that's not something you should be praying for, assuming none of that has happened, it's time for you to pick that prayer back up. Today is the day where you resurrect that prayer that you gave up on. Today is the day where you, where you start praying again for that loved one who you've been praying for, that, that person who's got a hard heart towards God, that son, that daughter, that husband, that wife, that you've been praying for and you've just given up. Today is the day you resurrect that prayer and you just keep praying. Today is the day if you've stopped praying for healing in your life because you've got something physically going on and you've been asking God, God, would you take this from me? God, would you heal this? God, would you heal this? But you've never seen him do it. And you stop praying. Today is the day you resurrect that. And you keep praying. Until God says to you, stop praying. You keep praying. Until you find something in the scriptures as you're reading through that says, I shouldn't be praying for that. You keep praying. Today is the day you keep praying. Pick it back up. What's that prayer that you've given up on? Who's that person that you've given up on? Maybe you've been asking God, what's next in my life? God, I I don't know what you want me to do with my life. I need direction. Today is the day you pick that back up and you keep praying. Others of you, maybe you don't know the God that I'm talking about. And so the idea of going to him in prayer is just Why would I do that? I mean, I can understand it might make me feel good if I'm in a hard spot. And maybe that's the only time you've ever prayed. 
And look, even as believers, listen to this. Even as believers, if you don't know your God, and if God is just distant to you and you've never gotten to know Him after He saved you, like your, your relationship with God has stopped at that moment of salvation and you've never grown since then, or maybe even in your growth, you know a whole lot about Him, but you don't know Him, your prayer life is dead. And it's empty, and it's maybe borderline religious ritual if it's not already. But when you know God, and you know His character, and you know His heart for you, it fuels your prayer. You long to spend time praying for Him. And I'm not talking just in the morning, in the evening. I'm saying throughout your day, you have conversations with Him. God, help me with this. God, would you show me what you want to do at my work? God, would you, would you show me what you're trying to teach me? You're, you're having conversations with him like that. God, would you, would you speak to me today about what you want to do in my life? God, is there anything you want to talk to me about? You just, it's a conversation because you know him. Some of you don't know him. You don't know his heart for you. But let me tell you, his heart was demonstrated for you through Christ. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, he says, God demonstrates his own love for you in this. This is how you know God loves you. This is how he shows it to you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might be thinking, well, I'm not ready to come to God. He's not, he's not going to be able to take someone like me. Hey, I, if he only knew what I did last night, he wouldn't take me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knows. Every one of us in here, God knows who you are. He knows who you really are. Not the person you make other people believe you are. He knows who you really are. He knows the heart attitudes that are lurking behind the, that, that outside exterior that no one else knows. And if they know, they would just be surprised to know in. He knows those. He knows the thoughts that go through your mind even when people are present but they can't get in your head. God knows. And yet He still sent Christ to die for you. And that was an act of His love for you because Christ lived the life that you keep trying to live and you can't do it. You will never live good enough to impress God on your own. You can't earn God's acceptance. You can't live your way into God's family. The only way into God's family is through His Son, Jesus, who lived the life that we can't live. He died the death that we should have died. And so in His life and in His death, He became a substitute for us. That's God's love for us. That's God's heart for you. And then he died the death that we should have died and he rose to new life, overcoming sin and death. And when we trust in Christ, God gives us what Christ has earned and Christ takes what we deserve. This morning, some of you, God wants you to know him. This morning, God's calling out to some of you and he's saying, today's the day you need to know me. I want you to know me today and he's, he's helping you to see his love and you've seen it like you've never seen before. And what's required is simply repenting, which means I'm going to stop trusting in whatever it is I'm trusting in, myself, whatever, and I'm going to turn and trust in God and what He's done. And when we do that, God takes a person who's spiritually dead and He makes us alive. He gives us a spirit to live inside of us. And, and He takes a person, and, and the Scripture says we pass from death to life. Today, that's where some of you are at. So here's what I want to do as we wrap this up. I want to take a moment and we're just going to go before the Lord. And we're going to ask Him, God, what, what do you want me to hear this morning? And if there's a prayer that you've given up, let's make right now the moment you pick that prayer back up. 
So let's just go before the Lord just for a moment. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and close this out. But there'll be people available right after the service. They'll be up front. Some will be in the back by the lamp there. Available to pray with you. If there's some, something you want to pray about or you want additional prayer, just go to them and they'll be glad to pray with you. And so uh, here in just a moment, if you're part of the prayer team, as I'm praying, you feel free to make your way to wherever it is you're going to be in this room. So God, this morning, I thank you for your heart for your chosen ones. I thank you for your heart for your children. I thank you for your heart toward those who have trusted in Christ. And that you are a God who is for us because we are in Christ. And that you are a God who desires us to seek you and desires us to to depend and lean upon you. Not because you take delight in us being needy and dependent, but because, God, that's who you are as a loving father. And a loving father takes delight in caring and lavishing his love on his children. And God, there's no sin mixed in there because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And so God, when you grant our requests and when you meet our needs and when you show up and you intercede on our behalf, God, it's because it's your love. It's because it's born out of your character. There's no manipulating you. And thank God for that. I don't want to live and worship and know a God who I can manipulate. God, thanks for your love for us demonstrated to us through Christ, continued to be lavished upon us because of Christ. Resurrect those prayers in our lives, God. Stir them up that we might seek you. And then, God, in your grace and in your mercy, we pray in your time that you would meet us and intercede on our behalf. These things, God, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And with that, we'll see you guys next week.